Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Car sales have been great because they have great deals and great products. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We'll get to Rob in a moment, but first, the quadruple doink. For middle Charlie Mendez Rice. is the holder. He's had a good day punting the football. Richard Telly, the grad transfer from Stanford, trying to deliver Rice a season-opening victory here to start 2020. From 45 yards, the kick is up. It is off the upright and out! It hit the upright twice, then the crossbar and stayed out. Stunning. For my Chicago Bears fans out there, that would be called the triple doink, as you uh, are all too familiar with. I, I don't think I've ever seen the ball hit all three posts. This is uh, <laughs> this is unbelievable. Quadruple doink. Pardon me. Had the distance, pushes it just a hair. So you're saying it's no good. All right. Rob Motti now joins us. How you been? Great to have you with us. Hey, Steve, how are you? Doing really, really well. Okay, uh, let me start with Carson Wentz. Look, the season is on the verge last Thursday night of going south because losing the Giants would have been a damaging loss for them. In the moment where they needed him, what did you see that really told you something? Uh, I saw a guy who's clutch, a quarterback who's fearless under pressure, a quarterback who, no matter how much he gets hit, gets up, goes out there, fights, withstands the heat, the pressure, the criticism, playing behind an offensive line that's been decimated, a receiving core. His last day touchdown passes have been to practice squad alums. So they're depleted. They're decimated. Carson's doing the best he can out there. And uh, what I saw last week really reminded me a lot of, a, of Brett Favre, and I posed that question to Doug Peterson the day after the game because Carson was really coming out of college, coming out of North Dakota State. They compared him to Brett Favre, and then the first four seasons, I didn't see that style of play. I saw a guy who was more careful with the ball, who was more cautious playing within the system, and lately, the past couple weeks, maybe two, three games, I've seen Carson go outside the system, try to be a playmaker, and, and kind of sometimes he's reckless with the ball because he trusts in his ability, he's confident in his arm, and you see him make a cross-body, cross-field throw that you cringe at, and the ball ends up getting dropped, so it would have been a big play. But I think sometimes you need a guy to be a playmaker, and he's kind of like that old gunslinger like Brett Favre, and I'm seeing him play with that kind of mentality. There's risk to it, but there's also great reward, and we saw the reward last week against the Giants. Where are they injury-wise right now? 
man, they're they're still banged up. So this week they may get Jalen Rieger back. It's looking good for Jalen Rieger to come back since the thumb surgery. But Alshon Jeffrey, who they've been waiting on and waiting on, his foot's okay following surgery to end last season, and now he's got a calf injury. So uh, don't look for Alshon to be back out there. Obviously, they lost to Sean Jackson last week, so he's going to be out for a while. So it's going to be the young kids at wide receiver for the most part. Jason Peters looks like he's going to be ready to come back this week. The question is where? Do you bring Jordan Peters, uh, Jason Peters back and, and put him at left tackle in place of uh, Melata, who's been playing very well, except for a little bit of a, a bump last week against the Giants? Or do they move Jason Peters back to the right guard spot? They're going to have to start him. I, I don't anticipate bringing Jason Peters back and the respect that this team and the organization has for him to bring him back, activate him, and put him on the bench. So he's going to be out there. I would think he's going to be at the left tackle spot, but that's something that they're keeping close to vest, and, and we'll see as the, as the week plays out. Right. No, exactly. Hey, obviously, uh, Boston Scott did a good job, you know, holding that pass. But having a Miles Sanders out there would make a make a big difference for them, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Miles Sanders, I think, has the potential to be an elite back in this league. And one of the biggest issues, obviously, with him has been his availability. He's been banged up a little bit. But I spoke to Ladanian Tomlinson before the season started, and he said, I, I think, uh, and, and LT, obviously, as we all know, is a Hall of back. And he said, I think the question with – Sanders is is Doug going to give him the ball? That's it. That's the only thing that's going to prevent him from being a superstar type running back is whether or not they give him the ball. Uh, they they started the season out when he at once he came back and uh, they weren't really leaning on him. I think that was maybe because he was out so much in the preseason and they were trying not to give him too many carries, too much of a workload. A couple games there, we didn't see him at the end of the game where I was a little concerned. Like, why isn't your best player out there? Why are you giving carries? to Boston Scott and Corey Clement uh, at the end of a football game when you should be giving them the Miles Sanders. Once he gets back, once he gets healthy, if he's fully healthy, uh, I anticipate, I thought he was going to have a breakout year, 2,000 yards uh, receiving and, and rushing type season. Obviously, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to do that this year, but something that's right. certainly future. We saw a couple of runs. That's, that's what he brings to the table. Anytime he gets the ball to you know, this, he can go to this. Right, exactly. Travis Fulgham had uh, played three games last year for Detroit and had exactly the same statistics you and I did last year. Zeros. Uh, yeah. What is it about him that has allowed him to emerge and allow Carson Wentz to trust him? He's big. He runs excellent routes, and that's something that the team has lacked guys who actually run a crisp route and that's allowed Carson to trust him because he knows where he's going to be and he throws him the ball and he's going up and he's making contested catches which is something that we haven't seen often from Eagles receivers sometimes they're open rarely and when they are they oftentimes drop the ball but we don't often see Eagles receivers go up and make a play and Travis Fulgham has come along seemingly out of nowhere and he's going up. We saw it against the 49ers and the win in San Fran and every game since then. If he's in traffic, if he's there, he's going to try and make a play. I really like about him is even the plays that he doesn't make. There was a 35 drop against the Steelers. Not really a drop. It was a tough play. It was batted down, and he thought he should have caught it. The uh, That cross-body 
throw that I alluded to earlier. Yeah. He thought he should have right. caught it. So you have a guy who doesn't blame the quarterback, who's not throwing anybody else under the bus. Even when he doesn't make a play, he expects to make a play. And I think you got to give credit to we, we get all over Howie Roseman and his, his draft and the failure to develop guys and taking J.J. Ortega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf in the second round last year, which is going to be looked upon by Eagles fans as one of the all-time great blunders. But when you're able to find a kid like Travis Fogum off the waiver wire, if he develops and continues to be a top-flight receiver, that's a pretty good find. No question. Uh, defensively, what to you have been the bright spots defensively? It hasn't certainly been a shutdown defense, but it's been good enough to win two of the last four. Yeah, and I really put a lot of this team's struggles on the defense. Because yeah. when you score 29 points and 28 points against two of the stingiest defenses in the league in Pittsburgh and Baltimore, you should have won those football games, but the defense couldn't stop them, and they couldn't stop the Rams, so that cost them there. But like you said, they've come along a little bit. Um, I, the defensive line is obviously the strength of this team, the depth that they have there. They're somewhat challenged now because they've lost Malik Jackson and Hassan Ridgeway inside, so they're down to uh, their top two defensive tackles, but they're down their third and fourth guy. Brandon Graham's been a bright spot. He's got six Ooh. sacks coming off the edge. Derek Barnett, I think, is starting to step up and play a little bit better. He's got a long way to go to be the guy that they expected when they drafted first round in 2017, but he's showing me something lately. And Darius Slay's been, I think, everything they expected back there in terms of uh, not necessarily like a shutdown corner in the, uh, the mold of a guy like Deion Sanders or Darrell Revis, but he's given them the ability to allow them to let him cover the other team's number one receiver, and he's got a tough challenge this week with Amari Cooper, and he'll shadow whoever that guy is, and he's done a pretty good job there too as well. Their issue's been linebacking. I think Alex Singleton played well last week, and I expect him to potentially get more snaps. He might even get more snaps than Nate Gary going forward, so that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Well, I want to ask you about Brandon Graham for a moment. I mean, this is the longest-tenured Philadelphia Eagle. I remember Penn State played Michigan 2009, and Penn State went to Ann Arbor and won with complete ease, like 35-10. to 10. I remember saying to Jack Ham, I said, Graham's the only le- legit NFL guy they have. Well, he's legit, all right, 11 years later. Why does he continue to produce at the high level like he is this season with the six sacks? That guy's got an energy level that's unlike many players in the league. He's just nonstop. He, he's always got a great attitude, and I think it starts there. It starts within. When you look within his personality and you see who's happy, who's always positive, who's always cheerful, and, and he knows that he's kind of like that glue that gets everybody going, That they, and he, he, he's just got that kind of energy, that push, that excitement, and it's tough, for, it's tough when he gets out there and he gets going, and he's always yapping. He's always yapping on the field. He's a trash talker, <laughs> one, of, one of the big-time trash talkers in the league, and he, he backs it up. And, you know, there was a period of time where, remember the Chip Kelly years, where we thought, all right, Brandon Graham's yeah. time, he thought his time here was done. They tried to move him out, they linebacker, and 
and he withstood that, and he's obviously going to go down in, in Eagles history as the guy who caused the strip sack on Tom Brady to secure yes, the sir. franchise's first Super Bowl title. So he's always going to be remembered for that. But it's, it's great, like you said, in his 11th year to see him potentially maybe have his best season in terms of sacks. So the, is the key to the game this week, if you shut down Ben DiNucci, you su- shut down the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> you know, Woods, you know it's funny will, because let, look, let's be honest here. Words <laughs> I would, thought you, you I would never put together Benzinucci, in the same Steve. sentence. Zeke hasn't had a 100-yard game, right, this season, which is strange. Yeah. And this is a banged-up yeah. offensive line, a big time. As bad as the Eagles are banged up on that offensive line, Dallas is too. And, and the Eagles, with the strength being a defensive line, you got to get after him. And, and Jim Schwartz has yeah. it's been known to put a lot of pressure on young quarterbacks. I think Ben DiNucci is going to be in for a, a big-time rude awakening in his first NFL start. and uh, it, A lot of people anticipate this being a closer-type game. I don't see it. I don't often pick blowouts. I don't often think teams, especially uh, picking a bad team like the Eagles at 2-4-1 to route anybody is, is a surprise, but it's got all the makings for that. Uh, I think there's some fear factor. I don't know if you remember the Joe Webb game. You remember the Vikings winning in Philly yeah. in 2010 with Joe Webb yep. replacing Brett Favre? There's some Eagle yep. fans I who remember. point to that and are scared. I'm actually someone who's announced a Ben DiNucci game. Are you really? <laughs> when he was a Pitt. Yeah, he, he came in and mopped up late against uh, against Penn State at Pitt in 2018 before he transferred to JMU. Oh, wow, that's right. Yeah, that, that's no, right, he did. I, yeah, I, I, use I, it as a, he, I used it as a resume builder. All right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Today he said, uh, I saw this quote coming out of Dallas. He, he said he walked up to Dak Prescott and, and he said to Prescott, uh, you didn't tell me my rookie year was going to be like this, and Dak just gave him a hug. I think, I think he needed it because he's in over his head right now. Oh, he, he's going to need Zeke Elliott more than any quarterback in America on Sunday. Hey, Rob, a lot of fun. Appreciate it very much. Hey, Steve, anytime, man. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Words I never thought I would put in the same sentence. If they can just slow down Ben DiNucci, the <laughs> Eagles can beat the Cowboys. You know what, Rob? It brings a great point. The Joe Webb game, I, I think, oh, is what casts him down. Uh, but come on. I will say this, though. I As of right now, I'm going with Eagles by 11. 27, They're going to beat him by three touchdowns. The Cowboys they are should. bad. They should beat him by three touchdowns. But you can argue they probably should have done the same thing to the Giants last week, and they didn't. They had to come back and win. I told you I thought the Giants were going to win. <laughs> That's right. I did. That's right. You did. Yes. Well, guess what? I wasn't that far off. I know. That's exactly why I'm hesitant. They should they, win this game outright, cr- but I'm they hesitant will crush to say this- that. They will crush this team like a grape. It'll be I like a steamroller. Right. You know, somebody asked about the the Ziploc bag that was next to me in the game. <laughs> the organic grapes. That's what they're going to do to Ben or, The organic grapes. They're going to take a steamroller <laughs> to the organic grapes and turn it into wine. All right. We'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK.
When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mirth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Great to have you with us. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. See the Nebraska story? Nebraska, because Wisconsin can't play this week, went out and scheduled a non-conference game with Tennessee Chattanooga. And I'm friends with the Tennessee Chattanooga Athletic Director, Mark Wharton. Mark was here for many years on the Nittany Lion Club, did a great job there, but then became the AD at UTC. Nebraska was going to pay $250,000, dollars to $250,000 to play the game in Lincoln this weekend. So UTC was going to make some cash out of it. Uh, UTC is not playing their southern um, their Southern Conference schedule until the spring, but they've been open to playing some games. They've played Western Kentucky, I think. Lost 13-10 to 10 last time out, but they're going to play the majority of their schedule in the spring. The So Nebraska puts this together, and the Big Ten nixed it. And that has caused... Again, another rift between the Big Ten and Nebraska. And we're going to get Robin Washett on the show tomorrow from uh, Lincoln, Rivals.com. But it has caused another problem. Nebraska went out and scheduled the game. Now, this is now they, they couldn't have done it until after they found out Wisconsin couldn't play. Dr. Jay Blackman, UTC's Senior Associate Athletic Director for Strategic Communications, confirmed that it was the Big Ten's decision not to play. We knew at the beginning of the conversations that it was going to be a long shot. We were trying to do things to get ready. People were excited. Nebraska released a joint statement from Athletic Director Bill Moose and Chancellor Ronnie Green saying, with the cancellation of the game against Wisconsin, we did explore the possibility of securing a non-conference game for Saturday. The discussions we had were with teams that had already implemented stricter testing protocols than those mandated by the Big Ten Conference. Those details were non-negotiable if we were to bring a non-conference opponent into Lincoln. And by the way, UTC tests three times a week, and they were tested yesterday, and everybody was negative. Okay, With an already shortened season, we owed it to our student-athletes to explore any possible option. Ultimately, the Big Ten Conference did not approve our request, and we respect their decision. 
We're excited to move forward the rest of the season, beginning with next week's game at Northwestern. Then, of course, they've got Penn State. Turns out Penn State's going to be their home opener. But again, this goes all the way back to July 9th. Remember, on July 9th, the Big Ten announced no non-conference games. They didn't announce a conference schedule July 9th. They didn't do that till August 5th. But they said no non-conference games, only conference games. And then on the 5th of August, they announced the 10-game conference schedule. On the 11th, they postponed. Then, of course, we all know the story about bringing it back with the 8-9-game to schedule. And they still tried to do this anyway. Uh, and Chattanooga did play Western Kentucky. They lost 13-10, so I was right about the opponent. Um, but Chattanooga tested its players and staff members Wednesday. The results all came back negative. They conducted another round of tests this morning. All the initial stuff was negative. Uh, Nebraska going to test their players and staff members again tomorrow in Lincoln. The plan was for Chattanooga to be tested again on Saturday morning before the game. And it was agreed that Nebraska was going to pay for all of Chattanooga's testing. But the Big Ten did not approve the game because no one in this year, dating back to July 9th, is allowed to play a non-conference football game. All right, Neil Kulong next half hour. We'll talk about the Steelers getting ready to go in and crush the Ravens. This is what happens when you when the two teams combine for an 11-1 record. Just so you know, Matt, that's like considered in the league a big game. Thank you for the refresher. I mean, everybody in your division, when it's over with, won't equal 11 wins. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. And also great pre-owned inventory that they go over so carefully. They want to make sure, you know, somebody else had it before, and they want to make sure that when you buy it, you're getting the best. And also they do a fabulous job with their service department. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. All right, in the NFL, uh, as much as Matt's touting a game between a pair of two-win teams, well, but but you're in first place by a half game. Exactly. Yeah. You do know that if this were the Premier League, the Eagles would be fighting not to be relegated. All right, so... <laughs> I am fully aware, Yes. I'm just kidding you people. These are all good lines. Come on. I don't think it's funny. I'm an Eagles fan. The Steelers and the Ravens will play. Now, there are two teams that actually are fighting to get to the Super Bowl. (laughs) But they'll play this week. With that, just back from Puerto Vallarta after a fabulous 
few days down there is Neil Kulong. Neil, welcome. Great to have you with us. Wouldn't miss Raven Steelers for anything, not even Barbados, but I assure you the tan didn't stick. I'm uh I am I am not cannibal. It doesn't work for me. Just figured I'd throw it in there. It, I, th- I thought it was a great visual for the fans. <laughs> Less visuals, the better. I think we'll, we'll keep it on. We'll keep it on the radio. Excuse me. That's why this mask thing during COVID's worked out so well for me. I've been able to maintain my radio persona even in public. All right. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, look, the game with the Titans, twenty-seven, twenty-four. They won it. You're facing another five and O team, so you expect them to compete, and they did. So, where do you think the you know, the Steelers team is six and O? But where do you think they are right now? You know, it, it's it's interesting um, it, it, watching it back. I, I think we saw the Steelers playing at a level that, it, in my opinion, was above and beyond anything I would have expected certainly offensively uh, this season. And I've said that a couple times now. They're getting better offensively. Um, it, there, there's a lot of upside there. Um, keep in mind, they, they use Juju a lot more in this game, and yeah. they didn't use Claypool at all. And Claypool is a guy that they were really keen on. So you, you're, you're able to reap the benefit of a, a rookie receiver who's starting to come into himself a little bit more, but they don't need him to. He's not a requirement to do that. They ran the ball much better. The offensive line, by and large, played much better. Um, they're, they're down points in the game in which you're, you're kind of wondering, well, are they regressing to the mean now? Is this all just kind of stuff that Tennessee wasn't prepared for? But the way I see it, if you lay out the, the sequence of the game, in a way that it wasn't all Steelers first half, all Titans second half, and mix them up together, we probably saw the best game of the season. Tennessee's a good football team. Yes, they are. Um, it, it, it took probably one more mistake on their part than it did on the Steelers in order for, for the Steelers to have won that late at the end. But it, it was a competitive game. I said 27-26 Pittsburgh. So it, yeah. for me, it was more like we got to an end result that I thought was going to happen just in a way I probably wouldn't have expected. But there were times that you saw the Steelers offense at a level. I don't think that we've ever seen them. Um, And this is a team that fairly is probably 80% as talented as some of the other ones that they've had in the past is scored noticeably less on a game to game basis. So for me, it's really the direction of where they're going. Um, I got the feeling after that game, maybe I need one more. Maybe I need to see a little bit more consistency for a little bit longer against a, a very good team like Baltimore. But in my mind, if they're able to beat Baltimore, I don't see why people don't see them as the best team in football. Mm-hmm. And that I, I did not think I was going to be saying at the midpoint of the season. But the Steelers have absolutely earned that distinction. And I, I think Baltimore should be factored into that as well. So, again, it is, as uh, Mike Tomlin said at the beginning of his presser, um, it, it's great to be – in the spotlight game for a third consecutive week, and that's really what this is for the Steelers. All right, so now let's bring you to the next part, because Derrick Henry, they don't play the same style, but Tennessee is very good at running the football. Was that What did you see in the Steelers' run defense, Neil, that tells you that they have the possibility of not holding but containing a Baltimore run game that can be really good? I think if anything, in some way, the way the Steelers play run defense, it's going to be easier for them to contain Baltimore than it is Tennessee. Tennessee really is just kind of grinded out. Uh, they're going to pound it right at you. They, they don't really have a problem 
saying from the beginning, this is what we're going to do. Baltimore tries to get you off of your technique with a lot of motion, a lot of different things. But when the rubber meets the road, they're not running stuff that's overly complicated. And I know we talked about this last season as well. They're an excellent football team. They're, they're very well coached. They're disciplined. But they're putting up a lot of you know, magic tricks and shiny, flashy things to get you to follow where the ball isn't going, and they run it straight at you. Tennessee doesn't even do that. With Baltimore, you can ignore the fact that they're doing just about anything else because, really, they're only throwing seeds and crossers uh, out of their passing game, out of their play-action game. Their running backs are okay. They're not Derrick Henry. They're nowhere near Derrick Henry. And in my opinion, uh, in the loss of Marshall Yonda along that line, yeah. Tennessee had a better offensive line more of the time. Now, let, let's be fair and say Taylor Lewan not playing last week probably had a, a more of an impact um, than, than what we'll see this weekend against Baltimore. But right. um, I, I, offense to offense, I think Tennessee does a lot of similar things. They're just not doing as much you know trickery as Baltimore is. It, I shouldn't say trickery, just kind of hand you know sleight of hand stuff. Um, they're not going in motion as much. They're not using those kinds of, of um, distraction techniques. Baltimore will come at you though. They're they're they're, they're going to make it look a lot different, and they have a quarterback that can run very very well in the open field, but. I don't see why we should assume that Baltimore is going to run roughshod all over them. I don't think that they're going to be able to do that. I think Lamar Jackson is certainly capable of making plays with his legs. I think they have a good stable of running backs. They're not a great running team, though, and I think Tennessee is. I think uh, Cleveland, well, I, I thought Cleveland was. Maybe it really is just Nick Chubb. But Pittsburgh has played two very good running teams, two teams that wanted to run the ball against them, and neither of them were particularly successful. So I don't see any reason why Pittsburgh shouldn't feel very confident in their ability to stop Baltimore uh, from running the ball. And frankly, of the few losses that the Ravens have had over the last 20, 22 games, uh, they haven't been able to run the ball when they did. So it's a matter of uh, being able to shut the run game down and from there, kind of let their defense eat. I'm not fully confident in their passing game. I don't think that they are either uh, at this point in the season. So I, I think it's a, a, a better matchup for the Steelers against Baltimore than it is against Tennessee. Which now brings me to Baltimore, which has only the loss to Kansas City. They are quietly a 5-1 and one football team. When it comes to Lamar Jackson, have you seen maturation at the quarterback spot? I've seen them want him to be that, and I've seen – much better throws this season um, than I think we saw at this point last year. Let's keep in mind, too, Baltimore was a good football team last year at this point. They didn't become dominant until the season continued to go on. I think they were still trying to kind of figure things out. They took a big step forward when they won that game against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh that, frankly, they they shouldn't have won. I think they knew that. Um, After that, they became a real powerhouse. It wasn't just beating up on, on the hapless Dolphins and Cardinals early on in the season. They got much better as the year went on. Jackson became the MVP as, as the year uh, drug on. I think they're, they're getting to a point where they're going to really find out who they are as a team, and I think this game is, is going to further that point uh, more than any other they've played this season, win or lose. Um, what we see from Jackson as a passer is similar to what we've seen uh, before. He, he throws a great deep ball. He throws a good seam. Those are the things that they really emphasize with him. Um, they want him to run. They want him to be able to hit on, on underneath crossers pretty often. I don't think that he does that consistently. Um, he, he plays well in chaos. This kind of seems to be the theme of, of younger quarterbacks, or maybe I've just talked about that concept too much. Uh, the, the younger quarterbacks that can go off schedule, make a rush or miss, find an open guy down the field, i.e. Baker Mayfield, really, 
when he's able to do that and get get into a rhythm, then he's able to do really well. And I think Lamar as a passer is similar to that too. I, I think uh, if, if he breaks the play down, if he's able to terrify defenses by getting out of the pocket and threatening to run, he can find guys down the field. And he has a great arm. He's he's a great athlete. He's probably without a question the most athletic quarterback in the NFL. He's going to be good with those kinds of things. Um, sitting in the pocket, having to to go through a progression. That's you know that's what makes being a quarterback really tough. You're going to have to do that at some point. I don't know if we've seen enough of that out of Jackson yet uh, to to say that he's taken a big step forward in terms of his his progress as a passer. But he's a good one. I don't think he's a great one. I right. I, I think he's a good one, and right. I think he can make the plays that he needs to. But the reality is, the Steelers have a good defense all around. He's not going to have the, the same kinds of opportunities that he has when when he beats up on, you know, Washington or the Jets or somebody like that. Um, they're going to make him work for it, and I, I think he's a great player. And I think it's a great matchup, but I, I don't know if he's there yet to, to expect him to have the Lamar Jackson style game that we're often used to seeing. To me, one of the keys in this game is which team can get to a two score lead. Uh, now the Steelers can come back from it. I'm not so sure the Ravens can, but if the Ravens get to a two-score lead, they can bleed that clock. They can run it dry. They can be very clever with what they're doing. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to get to a two-score lead, but Neil, I think it's one of the keys in this game is if you can get a two-score lead, one way or the other, you've got the advantage. You know, it's kind of funny. I think you could say that about all 16 of the, the Tom and Harbaugh games that we've seen, yeah. certainly in the regular season. Um, it, it's funny, though. They just don't end up, end up that way. <laughs> you know, they, they both play each other very conservatively. Uh, they know that the game's going to go down to the wire. Both teams are pretty confident in uh, their fastball, for lack of a better term, when it comes to the late game. With, with the Ravens, they're a great special teams uh, unit. They always have been. Justin, Ticker, Justin Tucker is probably the best kicker in NFL history. Um, they know they can win a game late because they have a great kicker cool. and they, they can play defense when they need to. Uh, I, Pittsburgh has a great defense themselves. They, they're opportunistic. They can get after the quarterback. And as we saw, um, even if a, a one-possession lead a couple times that they've had, the other teams had the ball with a chance to come back and beat them, and they haven't done it. Uh, the defense locks up enough eventually to be able to do it. And usually, minus the, the Titans game, uh, they've beaten every quarterback up that they've played. They're, they're sacking them four or five times a game. They only got two last week, which is really weird. We haven't seen them get two sacks in, in quite a while. It's three or more. Um, Jackson's going to get sacked. He's going to get pressured. And I know that Baltimore is going to be confident, um, you know, punting and, and playing defense against Pittsburgh's offense. Uh, with that said, I, I think if a mistake does happen and somebody gets up two, yeah, I agree with you. I think that is going to be a real tough challenge for either one of them, but if, I think it's more of a lock, honestly, if Pittsburgh were to get a two-point lead, simply because if Jackson's going to throw, this isn't the team he wants to throw against. Right. And I'm sure he knows that. If, if he's not running and making plays, if they're worried, worried about the clock, uh, the way Baltimore seems to get when they're down 10 or 14 points, um, they're going to tee off on him, and it's going to get a lot worse. It, it, Pittsburgh's a better defensive team than Kansas City is, and Kansas City sat back and, and let Jackson do absolutely everything he could to get back in the game, and he couldn't do it. So um, I, I, I would think that's a key, but I also think both teams yeah. know that, and they're going to make absolute certain field position as a premium, at least in the first half. They're not going to want to be the team uh, getting chunk plays or, or doing anything that might lead to a probably better than a 10-point. I, mean, I don't think 10 is quite right. the, the, you know, as scary a two-possession lead as, as you know, it might have been in the past. 
But if, if they get up 14, it, it's going to be tough for either one of them to come back. Which brings me to this last question. We're only 38% through the season, Game 6, so Game seven's coming up. But from what you've seen so far, what kind of tribute is this to talent acquisition by Kevin Colbert? Um, it, it's funny you mention that. I, I would say there's talent acquisition. I think that's the, the primary point on uh, the, the bullet list of any successful general manager. But let's look overall at the Steelers. I, w- I was having a conversation with somebody about this earlier. If you look at the Steelers from, say, 2014, 2015 uh, until now, most people immediately are going to, to make the comment that has something to do with they can't identify defensive backs. Okay, let, let's accept that as fact. Let's accept the Artie Burns fiasco for what it was. Sure. And let's look at everything else that they've done, though. You've got a Joe Hayden signing, which is gratuitous or fortuitous luck on on their part more no, than anything. No doubt. But they spotted him, they identified him, and, and Hayden couldn't get to Pittsburgh fast enough. That's how excited he was to go play for Mike Tomlin. Right. They got him an extension. They signed Steven Nelson. Not yeah. something people expected. A lot of people were very much against that. They weren't real thrilled with that. Right. Um, they they grabbed Mike Hilton off the scrap heap. Uh, he's a great player who's going to get paid pretty big next year. Um, people aren't real happy with Terrell Edmonds. I see a complete different player in him this season. Uh, he's a guy that, that replaced Sean Davis, essentially, and they got Sean Davis back for uh, probably less money than they, they would have paid for him uh, when he left Chicago in the first place. Or, uh, uh, Washington, I mean. You put all those things together and combine it with uh, coaches leaving, coaches going, stacking another coach inside uh, their, their secondary Colbert oversaw the transformation of their their defensive secondary that is a, a complete polar opposite of what it was three, four, five years ago. They knew uh, the, the challenges that they had as a team. They knew that they had to grow in that way. That's a very humbling experience for, yeah. for any leader. And the fact that they embraced that and they, they did the things that they did, and they're, they're reaping the benefits of it now, they have the best defense they've had since 2010 maybe 2011 uh, you put all those things together it, a lot of people want to say it's the skill of the players that they brought in they've invested a ton into that defense it's only going now um, largely in my opinion because they found the right mix of their talent their coaching and their scheme right. and a lot of that has to be credited to Colbert for having that vision and putting it together even if it was a you know kind of a, a trial by error type of, of uh, situation for them they put everything they needed to put together and they're maximizing as far as they can. You know, Bud Dupree is not the, the kind of player in a vacuum that they would have given the franchise tag to in the past. It's a lot of money. It's, it's certainly a premium position, but they knew they had a dominant defense going into the season. They wanted to keep it together, and Colbert wisely invested the money in to do that, a lot of money. Um, Bud Dupree is going to get paid a, a, a ton next season. He's made himself a ton of money just through half of this year. They kept it together, and this was their plan. This was their vision. In my mind, I, I think Colbert deserves a, a world of credit for that. It's not any one person, but he's the one, really, who's on the line for all of it. Uh, he, he, he's done a fantastic job, all of them have. Next time you're in Barbados, by the way, um, let us know, and because I think we'd like to do the show on location. Definitely. Definitely. We should. If not, I'll, I'll send you a postcard. They're always valuable. We have them all tacked up on the wall here. All right. Trace didn't look at them in January. Yeah, think, oh, yeah, yeah. This is terrible. Yeah. Neil, thanks so much. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Neil Kulong will wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury. 
like to have you with us on the show today. Another fun, informative one. It really was. Now, we're going to uh, get into the Nebraska situation a little bit tomorrow. Robin uh, Washett's going to join us from Rivals. And, uh, you know, it's... uh, it's interesting because every time you turn around, they feel like, like they want to go one direction. The Big Ten keeps telling them, no, you need to go in this direction. All right. We'll see. Uh, but we'll talk to Robin about that tomorrow. Looking forward. King's on tomorrow, too. How did we do on picks last week? All of us a little bit better. Uh, King and I were tied, and I think you finished. Yeah, and you finished one game behind us. There you go. So, yeah, right. not bad. Fabulous. Brad Edwards, uh, college game day on with us tomorrow, too. Okay. So we got that. So we have plenty going on tomorrow as well. I mean, you know, a lot of big stuff going on the show. Thanks to Paul Keels this week from Ohio State who joined us. We got Brad Edwards tomorrow. You know, as usual, Matt got a hodgepodge of Eagles people that try and pump up the two wins they've had. But right now, that tie that you were so critical of is the difference. It's just unbelievable, but yeah. You can't help but laugh at this. You know, as bad as the NFC West was the year Seattle won it with a 7-9 and record, and remember, they beat the Rams the last day of the season to get the seven wins to win it. And then they ended up beating New Orleans in the opening round of the playoffs. Man, this looks even worse. Now, the Eagles, the Cowboys are down and out. And then they got the Giants again. So you're talking about the possibility that the Eagles, in 10 days, could have four wins. Oh, yeah. Now now it changes the dynamics of what's going on. And getting healthier, too. Then they got to go outside the division and actually play legitimate professional teams. (laughs) Your quarterback's starting to play, babe. And believe it your or quarter- not, I see some I see some winnable games non-division. Your your quarterback is really starting to play. Big time. Helps a lot. All right. Uh, Sandy Barber, James Franklin coming up an hour from now on the Penn State Coaches Show. 